My name is Mike Matuzzi. I'm the founder of Contemporary Spirituality, and I'm here this morning with actually our first panel, Dave Armstrong and uh, Jesse Shealy and Sonny Hamrick. Dave is the Director of Mission and Ministry at Avila University. Jesse Shealy is the Executive Director of Jerusalem Farms, and Sonny Hamrick is the Farm Manager slash live trapper slash soon to update the website um, person at Jerusalem Farm. So let's visit with this group today, and um, I think this will be a meaningful uh, time for um, all the listeners. Dave let's, uh, Armstrong, let's start with you. Tell us a little bit about your journey. Uh, how did you get to your spot at Avila University? And then, if they're connected or not, how did that take you to um, Nazareth Farms originally, and then, I guess, what became Jerusalem Farms in Kansas City later? Tell us about that. Yeah, sure, Mike. Thanks much. Thanks so much for asking. Thanks so much for um, having us on. Hello to everybody out there, friends uh, that I know, friends that I don't know. It's it's um, it's uh, a pleasure to have the opportunity to talk to you today. Um, I'm not a great storyteller. People people would think that I would be, perhaps, but but uh, and maybe that's a little self-deprecating. Maybe I'm better than I think I am, but I'll do my best to. Uh, to answer your question. Um, you know, I was the guy, I just turned 60 this year, so I was the guy in the early 80s that was watching the church grow up in the 70s, and I was pretty excited about the progressive uh, direction it was taking. And as I was growing in my faith, I really decided that lay ministry was something that I wanted to be a part of. Um, early on, I was um, a director of uh, outreach ministry at the University of Kansas St. Lawrence Catholic Center back in the Back in the mid 80s, at the time, if, if people are aware and were at KU at the time, were aware it's about the time that they built the, um, the the really nice Catholic center that they have there on the campus. After that, I went on to be the director of Archdiocesan Youth Ministry for the Archdiocese of Kansas City in Kansas. And after about an eight year stint there, I ended up at the uh, what's now Saint uh, University of Saint Mary up in Leavenworth, Kansas, as their director of campus ministry. And then in 2002, I had the opportunity uh, to move along, and I came down to Avila. When I got to Avila, um, the, um, the, the what they had traditionally done there, I would in the before I went to Avila, I would take students. I loved doing international trips. We would go to El Salvador. Uh, we would learn um, about Oscar Romero and and the. And the four church women whose anniversary, 40th anniversary of their death uh, was just last week, which is really, I, I know for you, Mike, too, it's just hard to believe it's been 40 years. But right. so, so teaching that story, um, I enjoyed our international trips. And then I had the opportunity when I came to Avila to do a, a domestic trip to out to West Virginia, uh, out to what's called Nazareth Farm. Nazareth Farm is the first of, of what's now, what are now four farms. Um, in the United States. Uh, Nazareth is, is located uh, in Center Point, West Virginia, and um, they started in 1979. So in 2003, I had my first opportunity to go out there, and I remember driving up, and uh, one of the students had been there before told me to start honking my horn, and so I started honking my horn, and all of a sudden, all of these people came rushing out of the house and they came up to us and gave us a big hug and told us, welcome home, welcome home. And mm -hmm. I just thought to myself, how interesting is this? And, um, and, and the rest of the week just went from there. And so what we learned or what I learned at that time is here's the opportunity to, to serve domestically while at the same time working with other young people, other leaders uh, or other campus leaders, I should say. And really living out our faith in a very deep way uh, through the four cornerstones, which I'll have uh, Jesse and, and uh, Sonny say more about later. But uh, that's where it started for me in 2003. In 2005, um, Eric, um, er, um, Eric Fitz and Colleen Fitz now, they weren't married at that time, but got married and they started another farm down in in uh, Southern West Virginia. And I remember sitting on the porch with Colleen at that time and we were talking and she was wondering how it would go and, and what this new farm would be like. And I thought to myself, you know, if they can do a farm there and they can do one in Southern West Virginia, 
I wonder what it would be like to do one in an urban setting. But that just kind of just let that go and didn't think about it much more. And then in 2011, um, I was at the farm. I would take my family out to Nazareth Farm. By the way, one of the best things people out there with families or grandkids or whomever, my kids loved going out to the farms. They'd rather go to the farms for a week and then go down to um, go down to Disney World or the beach or something like mm -hmm. that, because you just you can't you can't top what happens in relationships when it comes to the kinds of emotions and feelings that you can share with people that can't be done at a Disney world or on a beach or something like that. But anyway, maybe we'll say more about that later. Um, so um, I was there with my family in August of 2011 and, and Jordan, um, Jesse's, Jesse's husband, he and I were talking and uh, they had mentioned that uh, they might go to Detroit and start a Catholic worker house, or they might go to San Francisco and start something similar to the farm. And I, um, I said, well, what if something popped up? I had nothing in mind at this time, but I said, what if something popped up in Kansas City? Would you be interested? And he said, well, you can always give us a call. Well, it's a little bit longer story than what I'll share, but uh, basically just a few weeks after that, I got a call from the chancellor uh, of the diocese at the time was Jude Hunts. And he said, hey, we got this building downtown Kansas City. You got any ideas of what we can do with it? We'd like to put a nonprofit in there. And uh, I said, uh, well, let me let me give some people a call. And so I called out to uh, uh, to Jordan and Jesse and I said, hey, guys, would you be interested in something like this and trying this out? And right away they said, you know, we really got our heart set on going to Detroit. And I said, well, okay, well, why don't you sleep on it? Well, they slept on it. And the next day they gave me a call and they said, you know what? We want to come look at it. Well, in late October of that year, um, in 2011, they came out and looked at the house, which is uh, at 520 Garfield. And they said, Jesse, I remember, I'll never forget it. About an hour into our visit, Jesse looked up at me and she said, without even talking to Jordan, I always thought that was funny. She said, yeah, we're coming to Kansas City. <laughs> and I was just, at the time, I was like, I was like, you know, what, I looked at them and here's this young couple with a new baby. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what have I done? What have I gotten myself into? What have I gotten them into? And uh, we just, it just went like gangbusters from there. So that's mm -hmm. how it got started. And, and on uh, the feast day of St. Joseph the Worker, May 1st of 2012, the farm officially opened. Outstanding. All right, let's flip it to Jesse. Jesse, um, tell us your journey. How did you get to uh, 520 Garfield uh, in August of uh, 2011? Uh, well, I grew up in the great state known as Michigan, and yeah. I. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I grew up there in an evangelical family, and my parents always put a huge emphasis on volunteering and talked about giving and how um, anyone can give money, but the true gift is giving up your time, and because um, time is worth so much more than money. And they instilled that in both me and my brother at a young age, and I think I took that um, through my life and did, um, did AmeriCorps with, um, with, well, I met Jordan in AmeriCorps and Triple C, um, which is the National Civilian Community Corps. It's a team-based traveling program. I did that um, in 2008. And that's where I met Jordan. And he was like this really cool guy from California and everybody thought he was so cool <laughs> and um, we got to know each other and um, we both really enjoyed the the service aspect of of AmeriCorps but there didn't seem to be a real backbone to it and um, for me I was like well the reason I serve is because Christ calls us to serve and Jordan had grown up Catholic, but was kind of falling away from his faith a little bit. And he was just really inspired by how I was so open with that. I don't think Catholics are quite taught 
how to be open about their faith with people, especially at a young age, like we evangelical, <laughs> evangelical yeah, were taught. Some truth to that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, so I was just very open about that, and he loved those ideas. And he was kind of working from this um, Martin Luther King Jr. and Gandhi sort of viewpoint. And I was like, right. And so many of those things are the teachings of Jesus. And so we really connected on that. And then after AmeriCorps ended in November, we decided that we were going to hitchhike around the country and volunteer, but we were going to do it for Christ um, rather than just, you know, in service to our country, um, but rather in service to the people, because that's what Christ calls us to do. And so we traveled around and volunteered for about a year, worked um, on some Hurricane Katrina rebuilding that was happening in Mississippi. And we were looking for our next place to go. And Jordan said, oh, you know, I had learned about these things called Catholic worker houses, which obviously I didn't know anything about. And we looked a few up on a website and just randomly called one in West Virginia. And the woman who answered was a former Nazareth Farm staff member. And it was a hospitality house. And she said, you know, this place is a little quiet for you guys. At the time, we were working in uh, in Mississippi doing home repair. And she's like, if you guys have these skills, maybe you should go to Nazareth Farm. And so she steered us in that direction. And I just remember looking up the Nazareth Farm website and like, prayer, community, service, simplicity, which are our four cornerstones here at Jerusalem Farm as well. And we just looked at each other in the eyes and we're just like, I can't believe this. This is so great. This is everything we've been talking about. And so we called Nazareth Farm up and said like, hey, can we come and volunteer? We just live in our tent and eat oatmeal. And they were like, um, yeah, why don't you just apply to live here instead? And so we did. And so we moved to Nazareth Farm in um, 2009, the end of 2009. And then uh, we lived there for three years. We got married in 2010. And yeah, we were just settling into life there. We love um, West Virginia. There's a lot of, um, yeah, there's a lot of generational poverty in in West Virginia and uh, the rural, the ruralism of West Virginia makes life very difficult for people. And we just felt very called to being there. Um, but the community was more of a short-term community at Nazareth Farm and that kind of life, it was hard to share life with people who only lived there for a year. And so we kind of felt drawn to a longer term thing and that's when we started dreaming and that's when Dave came and said what do you think about Kansas City and we we're like yeah okay and <laughs> I've never been to Kansas City mm. um, but yeah when he brought us out Halloween weekend um, we called a Catholic worker um, we actually called um, what's the Catholic worker that's closed Holy Family, Holy Fa- Holy Family House right. and we called them and said Hey, we, you know, we've lived in community, but it's this very rural community where we are the only young people in like a 20 mile radius. And we were just a little concerned about having community in the city because we found the city to be very distracting. And so we wanted to meet with them and talk about it. And they're like, Ooh, that's a tough weekend, but we're having this really big gathering. Why don't you come? And it was actually um, the community of community gatherings um, that used to happen here in Kansas City between communities here in Kansas City. So on our very first weekend, when Dave brought us out here, we met um, Eric and Jody from Cheris Brook, the folks at Holy Family. We met um, Clark and Audrey from A Simple House and um, Bobby, who was at the Oak Park community and the Strawberry Hill community. And we just we had this group of people that we met and we were like, Oh my goodness, like this is absolutely happening in the city and we can absolutely make this happen. And like Dave said, as soon as I walked into this house at 520 Garfield, the it's an old convent. As soon as I walked in, I just had this overwhelming sense of this is what I'm doing with the rest of my life. And I didn't need to talk to Jordan because I knew it was, I knew it was what God was telling us to do. That's outstanding. So you knew it was right. You knew Jordan would agree. And I'm looking at your website. Congratulations. Looks like you folks just celebrated your 10-year anniversary, huh? Yeah, we did. Yep. Outstanding. All right. Let's let's move to Sunny. Um, Sunny, um, tell us about your journey and how you got here to Jerusalem Farms. 
Sure thing. Well, it's all Jesse and Jordan's fault. Um, Via <laughs> Gates' fault. So we can blame them for all this. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I found myself in Chicago uh, my freshman year of college, really going to school there at St. Xavier University, really just thinking about sports and not much else, going to play soccer. That was most of my life. Um, but then uh, there was a sister of mercy there named Sister Joy Clo. And she started taking me and other students in her personal car on Friday mornings. We would wake up at 5.30, and we would get in the car and drive to a deportation center about 45 minutes away. And it was there that my eyes were opened up to that there's a lot more going on in this world than my insulated life that I've been experiencing. Mm. And what was going on there that morning on Friday mornings was there was an interfaith prayer vigil of people gathering in solidarity with people being deported. Literally that morning, the buses would pull out in front of us and mm. it destroyed me. It, it completely ripped my heart out. And in the same way I was in going to school, I was growing despondent with faith and um, didn't have much of a background or a strength in faith and religion. But then when I went to these gatherings, I saw it was let, they were leading a rosary to be in solidarity with most of those people being deported were Catholic. Um, Mm. And so we were connecting with them. Our prayers were transcending the walls of the prison Mm. because inside they were praying with us. And it was a huge learning moment for me because in that moment, I, I can't stop it. I can't fix it. I can't fix that there's people that want to separate families. I can't fix that I am literally holding on to a mother and a child that are crying because their husband, who was a construction worker, who was a baker, who was a neighbor and a father, is now being sent off like a criminal right before us. And it was devastating but then it was also strengthening because I was surrounded by people who cared and who were doing it as a call of their faith. There was priests, there was rabbis, there was imams, all gathering on these mornings because they felt called. And that gave me a positive example of faith and action mm. that I was ex- extremely inspired by. And was kind of the beginning of opening me up to there's a lot more going on. I mean, literally this deportation center was an unmarked brick building behind a neighborhood in Chicago. Mm. And so then that just inspired me to uh, get more into the social justice heritage of the Sisters of Mercy. I'm really grateful Mm. to them for their guidance while I went through school. And uh, yeah, so then I kind of shifted my energy as a young man from all the energy I put into athletics, I switched it to the heart of service and the heart of social justice and started organizing students and working with other students on these issues of immigration and hunger and the environment, um, whatever may have arisen on campus. And yeah, so I'm really grateful for Sister Joy and the Sisters of Mercy that came to be my guides. And then um, with that awakening, I was shortly led to my spring break service trip to Nazareth Farm, where That was a big shift for me because all the people I was mainly witnessing in that social justice scene were still older than me. They were, I mean, a lot of them were elders of the social justice community. They were Mm -hmm. sisters and nuns and priests and lawyers and all these different things. But I was feeling really despondent on campus with my lack of participation I was getting from my fellow students from the youth. You know, I I would be frustrated because I'd be reading about how, you know, students stopped Vietnam back in the day. Like that was mm-hmm. college students and people in their early 20s. And I mean, it was a lot more than that. But then you come to a campus now and it's quiet. But fortunately, we're seeing a, a resurgence in that energy when we're seeing football teams refusing to take the field if their school doesn't take a stronger stance against racism. Like we're starting to see that awakening again in the youthful campuses. And I'm excited about that. Um, but then I went to Nazareth Farm and there I met young adults Jordan and Jesse, a few others, living out their faith in a positive, loving, welcoming way. Because so much what I witnessed of religion was the opposite. Yeah. And 
not only were they doing that, but they were doing it with a little taste of radicalism. You know, it also spoke to my sense of anti-consumerism and capitalism and all the isms that come with it. And so it, it really it really captured me as, oh, here's a good thing. Here's something good going on. And so um, from there, I, I, I did that quick trip, but then I ended up going back and staying there for the summer where I first met Dave Armstrong in the parking lot, I believe. And um, yeah, and so from there on, I just carried the four cornerstones of community, simplicity, service, and prayer in my heart through my undergrad, continuing to seek, seek a more global perspective on my place in this world and this life and uh, growing deeper in that. And then once I graduated, I just came straight out here to Kansas City. Jordan Jesse sought me and welcomed me with open arms, and um, I've been here for six years now. Outstanding. Outstanding, all three of you. Very succinct and, and great summaries. Let me um, let me uh, pivot to Jesse, because I think you would be maybe best equipped to talk about the, the work and the mission of Jerusalem Farms since the beginning. So over the past eight years is the question. What what has the focus been? What have you done? So when we first came here, um, like Dave said, he had already gathered some people around what we were doing. Um, Jude Hunts at the who was at the diocese at the time, um, Sister Rose McCarney, uh, Sister of St. Joseph and um, also Bill Cadero. And those people definitely helped us, um, you know, make a space here, have our space here. And we came in with um, the model that we had at Nazareth Farm, which was this hosting um, high school and college students from around the country for week-long service immersion trips um, that are totally immersed in the cornerstones as well. And at Nazareth Farm, we did home repair for low-income and elderly people within a one-hour radius of uh, Center Point, West Virginia. And so when we came to Kansas City, those were the skills that Jordan and I came with. And um, we didn't we didn't want to come into the neighborhood and say, this is what you need. And so we did spend some time um, looking at the needs of the area. And it was readily apparent that home repair was a need that was needed um i mean anywhere that's needed because yeah unfortunately it is very difficult to upkeep the maintenance of of a house and um so we found that immediately and said hey that that is that is the skill we bring and so it did fit in perfectly and so uh, we first started like, yeah, anyone in Kansas City, because that's what we did in Nazareth Farm, and they were like, oh, wait, the entire population of West Virginia lives in Metro Kansas City, so I don't think our service wow. area can be quite so big, and so, yeah, we brought it down smaller, and so we we do home repair for low-income and elderly um, in the six Northeast neighborhoods of Kansas City, so it's pretty much um, the like Cliff Drive to Truman Road, 435 um, to the west and Paseo, or sorry, to the east and Paseo to the um, west. Um, that's our service area. And yeah, we offer home repair to, to families and we also offer creating relationships with them. And so when we bring a group out to someone's house to work on you know, building a ramp for um, accessibility for someone in a wheelchair. Um, we do put a lot of emphasis, I will say pre-COVID, <laughs> we didn't host any groups this year, um, about, you know, having lunch with the homeowner, getting to know them, getting to know um, their other needs. Um, we now have a community companion position that we've learned that we had to, had to incorporate um, just because, you know, so many people in our city are living without water. And we think of that as a total, like, third world problem. But it happens in our city, and it happens a lot. And um, so, yeah, creating those relationships, because the first thing someone says to you isn't going to be, I don't have water in my house. <laughs> it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a relationship to, to get that trust from someone that they're going to share something like that, um, depending. Sure. <laughs> um, yeah, and then and then yeah, it's sort of we have sort of these three things. So our our actual mission is uh, we're an intentional community, um, 
rooted in Catholic social teaching and the four cornerstones of prayer, community, service, and simplicity. And we strive to transform our lives and the lives of those around us through service retreat experiences, sustainability, and home repair. And um, yeah, that sustainability aspect also, um, our simplicity cornerstone comes in. Um, we have a garden in our backyard. Um, this year we started an orchard on um, a neighbor's property and we also maintain a community garden in our neighborhood. And we also have a curbside compost program and there's a few other things that go hand in hand with that. Yeah. Let me flip to Sonny, then I'm going to get back to Dave. And to give Dave an idea where I'm going, I'm going to kind of ask him from the board's standpoint, because I know he's been on the board from the beginning, some of the what he's seen growth-wise over the past eight years. But from your perspective, uh, Sonny, just kind of your areas of interest. I know managing the farm is is one area, but what have you seen um, with Jerusalem Farms and its mission and, and the work that uh, you can tell listeners more about? Sure. Thanks, Mike. Um, yeah, with our work, I think I've really enjoyed witnessing it develop deeper in those relationships with our homeowners. Uh, as Jesse mentioned, the community companion position coming to recognize there's so many needs each person we come to meet has. And that can be really debilitating as well for us and really overwhelming. But it's also that just starting with the one thing that you can do. I can fix this roof. I can fix this wall and kind of coming into that reflection that we're not the master builders. We're just workers and mm. showing up to be what we can, how we can both for our neighbors, the ones that we're uh, working with and serving alongside and both for ourselves and each other in the community that we're living in. And I think, the hardest part for people to grasp that are outside of our actual intentional community is that many people witness the physical work that we're doing on the houses or in the gardens or wherever that may be, but it's rooted in the seeds start with the relationships in our intentional community. And when we come to work on our communication with one another on a daily basis, because you have to, because you live with 15 people. <laughs> um, that goes from that small micro level, easily scales up to the macro. And what does that look like for our world if we began to communicate more efficiently, if we began to fulfill our neighbor's needs for fulfilling ours in excess? What does that look like in our world today when we can come to recognize the greater draw to level us, get us all up to one level together rather than so many seeking higher and higher levels before others are anywhere. Um, and so I really enjoy witnessing that within our work, mm, taking time excellent. to step back, sometimes scale down even, but also recognize our limitation and be humble within that, but always continuing to strive to be of loving service to, to each other and our house and our greater community. Not saying it's easy, in fact, I'm saying it's really hard. Yeah. <laughs> I'm saying it's yeah. very hard. But um but it's again, if we can work on it on these small scales, if the people listening can work on this within your own home, addressing one conflict that you've gone passing by for maybe years in your circle or in your family, that one step towards peace does ripple out more than we'll ever know until we walk up to it. Mm. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. David Armstrong, um, you got this whole thing started, and I'm looking at I, I, my hunches. You've been on the board from the beginning, um, and I think there's a partnership here with the Sisters of St. Joe somehow, but just tell us more from the board's uh, standpoint and with the growth you've seen. I surmise, you know, you got a building. You've got uh, Jordan and Jesse that are all in, but... Uh, Nobody has any idea in 2011, 2012, if, if this thing's going to last, right? How has it evolved? Right, right. In, in fact, uh, I can remember sitting down in prayer in 2012 and thinking, you know, what's it going to be like in five years? What's it going to be like? Here we are eight years, almost nine years later. Um, and um, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard to imagine. 
but I will tell you it's it's beyond my expectations. It's it's incredible the work that these guys do, the ways they have found and met the needs of this community uh, community and it's just astounding and it is it is gratifying it's gratifying that uh the holy spirit used me as an instrument to do just the very little thing of calling jesse and jordan and and then stepping back and letting them do all the work because that's really what's happened um yes i was the board chair i was honored to be board chair for the first six years and um you know, in that time, we kept growing and it was happening just as um, we had planned, quite frankly. Groups started coming early on and they were having the same kind of experience in an urban area as students were having in uh, the rural areas of West Virginia. And so right away, we knew that the model was going to work and that was exciting. And as we grew, um, we got together and put together a strategic plan, which included um, building a house that the community could live in away from the volunteer house. And right away, we set out on a, a capital campaign to raise $450,000 and boom, there it was. And we mm. built the house and they, and for almost two years, is that right, Jesse, two years now that you've yeah. lived in? Two years. Yeah. And um, so we have we built this beautiful new house in the Northeast, which was exciting for the whole community to see new construction going up. Um, we acquired a property ac across the street from that. And then this then just this year, um, uh, we acquired a property and another building behind us so as our community expands and and we have other folks that come in. We also have a group we haven't talked about yet. Uh, called the Sojourners, which are young people or anyone actually who can come in from anywhere from one to six months rather than uh, any kind of long-term commitment. They can have a shorter commitment. So that place serves as um, a, a place where they can stay or it helps us to expand the possibilities uh, of living arrangements. And uh, and uh, right now though, we have a, an AmeriCorps group in that's helping us out and, and it worked out well that they can live there for now. So um, just many of the things that have happened over years, uh, you couldn't imagine. And now looking back, it's just like, wow, wow, look at where we are. And uh, it's, it's frankly, Mike, it's been people like you. It's been so many of our, our very, very generous donors that have uh, given in so many ways. And yes, the Sisters of St. Joseph have been very kind to us in many ways from the beginning not the least of which their uh, prayers of support, but also some resources that have helped us to uh, accomplish some of the things that we've needed to accomplish. So we're very indebted to the Sisters of St. Joseph, of course, Avila, where, where I have my job as the Director of Mission and Ministry, uh, and I am an associate of the Sisters of St. Joseph. So I've really taken on that spirituality, which is a spirituality of healing and loving, of bringing people together, and that just fits so well right into uh, the, the mission of Jerusalem Farm. So it's been great, Mike. Thanks for asking the question because it's nice to reminisce and to, and to look at how far we've come. Well, I tell you, thank you. I mean, all of you are so articulate and speak uh, just so well and clearly. We, we could go on and on and on. Let's do one more round and we'll just kind of open it up. I think I'd like to hear um, from each of you just Two, three minutes, anything at all you want to say um, where you see Jerusalem Farms maybe in the next five years, if you want to pick up on that, as, as Dave described at the beginning, that he was maybe thinking on a five-year um, trek, uh, new things that are arising, um, current challenges, anything you want. Uh, so I'll just leave it wide open, uh, Sonny or uh, Dave or Jesse, anyone uh, jump in and we'll just popcorn around to all three of you and end it there. Yeah, Jesse, why don't you go first? Great, thanks Dave. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, yeah, so I think, uh, yeah, thinking about the next five years um, here at the farm, I think first and foremost to our we've started work recently um, just over the past two years um, in code violations 
um, it was something that came up through relationships with Don Bosco, especially, and their senior center. Uh, they just had a lot of seniors in the Northeast area getting code violations and having to go to court and not understanding the system very well, not understanding what they needed to do to fix their violations. And Jordan started accompanying people to court and learning about the code violation system and different things. And um, I know one example he gives is a woman whose roof had a hole in it and she had paid, I don't remember even how much oh. it was. It was like almost $2,000 in fines to the city and still had the hole in her roof mm. and just uh. realizing that that's such a broken system. And so he met with judge Welcher and the housing court prosecutor and um, came up with different ideas of ways that we can deal with code violations. And throughout the years, we've tried different things, including um, neighborhood accountability boards, because often code violations are just neighbors who are mad at each other. <laughs> it doesn't have to be yeah. <laughs> the weeds in the yard or anything. And so we've done a few different things with it. But right now we have a partner with partnership with Maddie Rhodes and um, uh, NEAT Northeast lines together as well as the city of Kansas City and um, Jordan became a code inspector and he's doing work in the Indian Mountain neighborhood um, that's more education about what code violations um, people have and what they can do um, with them and also helping people who need legitimate big things done on their house um, and so that has been work that yeah it's diverting people out of the court system and um, into having their problem solved rather than just being fined for it. And we're really excited about that work um, and it expanding into the other neighborhoods that we serve. Very good. Thank you. Um, Sonny or Dave? Well, sure, I, can, I go can jump in here. Oh, go ahead, Sonny, good. All right. Um, yeah, for the next five years, I think uh, what I really have enjoyed growing in and developing and hope for more of within myself and the work we do with our volunteers and the retreats we lead is that connection of contemplation and action. And because mm -hmm. I, coming from where I came from in, in school and activism, I did find myself in circles surrounded by youth and people who had one of a lot of the or the other. So the youth would tend to be really on fire with action, which we witness today in our media and on the news and in our gatherings. Um, but then I often would see things fall short or lose hope or lose their strength because it, it lacks the backing of contemplation. It lacks the backing of whether you want it, it to be faith or spirituality or whatever that may be. And so I really look forward to continuing to draw these bridges between the incredible calls of Catholic social teaching. I mean, the call of human dignity, the call of preferential option for the poor and vulnerable. Mm. What does that look like if everyone who identified as Catholic or even of faith? Because what's so cool about those Catholic social teachings is really that they are social teachings that I think can be applied to a person of faith or not of faith. And that's how I approach those conversations with our students and our neighbors is that you don't have to be religious to think that we should care for the vulnerable. And so what does it look like in our daily lives to connect that in bringing about the principles of anti-violence and coming to recognize in our own communities that poverty is violence and that there are so many systems like Jesse just mentioned, our own court system causing more oppression. That's violence. When someone has to choose to pay their court fine over feeding their child, or paying their heat bill, and then they have to sleep with their oven open on the kitchen floor. These are real stories that I've witnessed, that I've seen, that I've listened to. That's violence. And so how are we called as communities of faith to be our, the loving neighbor, to mm -hmm. offer what I seek as radical love? We've been taught all kinds of love in our life, some hard and some very open and... Um, free but what does the radical love look like when we are called to love those who are the hardest to love sometimes maybe when we're called to love the neighbor who is calling on their neighbor and reporting them um that's the challenges we look forward to us walking deeper into dialoguing more uh carrying on and connecting 
the rise of our social issues that have always been here, but how can we bring those into what is often the insulated communities that come on our retreats? Just in an honest way, we often have an upper middle class white perspective coming into our retreats. How can we open that up to the people who are being oppressed or on the margins or are most vulnerable in our societies? I hope that we can continue to build those bridges, grow in those areas of development, not just for our community, but for ourselves as well. Because the more love that's out there, the more love that we receive. And I just, I want to add right now, our community is um, going through Fruitelli Tutti, the on fraternity and social friendship. And I think that's one of the, we loved, obviously, Laudato see <laughs> and care for our common home. And I just think Pope Francis's encyclicals have, have been a source of what Sonny is talking about mm-hmm. for our community, a source of something that we can share with others that not everyone knows that the Pope writes encyclicals. <laughs> like so many Catholics don't know that or don't read them or um, can't understand them. And so I think we're in a un- unique place to, to offer that people yeah Dan, let me um let me make a couple comments uh, and brag up um all of you including uh, jesse and jordan so like a million years ago i lived in an intentional community in st louis for a couple years and that community not unlike yours was very young it was uh catholics and non-catholics but we had a handful of married couples that really made the whole thing run and they were the glue that held it together so we lived in Soulard in St. Louis in uh, five or six homes, and we pretty much had a married couple that would let, you know, with children, that would also bring in single men and single women, and, and you know, we formed a community, and the, uh, you know, it takes special people and a special marriage to be big enough to shoulder all of that, so uh, I'm bragging, uh, Jesse, you and Jordan up and then I'm, I think I'm inviting Dave and um, Sonny to talk about that, just just to witness um, that, because that, that's, you know, that, that's a big commitment and that, you know, I think it tends to, to make the whole thing work. Um, anyone want to, you don't get to respond to that, Jesse, because I'm bragging up you and Jordan, but uh, Sonny or Dave, would you comment on that if you have anything extra to say? Sonny, you're the one that lives in community, so. Yeah, it is absolutely incredible to see, as I just mentioned, the radical and loving example Jordan and Jesse have provided us in the house and the greater community. I mean, for people to really fully be giving of themselves in ways that I could never imagine asking of someone. I mean, opening their home constantly to new relationships and new people, it is extremely challenging and trying and not only that but committing yourself to something larger than your family i mean the family alone is enough work <laughs> i think anyone that has one right. knows that and right. um it is incredible to see them move through it's a journey it's it's really a journey um, and to see them be a loving example of how they can be living out their faith in the greater world for their children and having those conversations, which I've witnessed and heard with their children, um, is just really beautiful. And it's what I hope for. And I, I understand that people, all different people have different limitations, but um, they definitely continue to put themselves out there daily and their relationship. Um, it's not just between them, but it's between them and presently seven other adults. <laughs> And um, that's part of that radical love that we need to witness, that willingness to take on the greater challenges so that we can do more together. Yeah. I'll do. Uh, let me ask you one specific question, then I want to flip it to Dave. Uh, contemplation and action, that marriage is, is you know, everyone's challenge. And I uh, understand in spiritual circles, uh, everyone tends to be white and affluent, so that's right? Always a challenge, getting better participation there. But how do you uh, have a community, Sonny, where there's nine adults, seven kids, the seven kids are ages one to nine, and still fuel contemplation? Yeah, there's got to be noise and activity everywhere. How do you find quiet time? How does that work? Yeah, I think, yeah, you have no idea until you're in it. Um, uh, You know, well, 
the direct answer is we try to make that intentional space. I mean, that, that's the most direct. We, we, have, we meet for communal prayer five days a week in the morning. Um, and, I mean, it's never really that everyone can make it, but everyone makes their best effort, and the parents often kind of rotate who can attend. So then that's giving that space for at least one of the half of the parents. Um, yeah. So we try to make that intentional space. We have another time in the evening where we make intentional space after the kids are in bed. So that's another space for contemplation. Uh, we talk about and we really try to provide each other the grace to take space when we need it. I think that's another place we've really grown is recognizing, oh, if we let people give people permission to take days off or day, day retreats or meet with a spiritual director, like they're going to be able to show up in their more full self when we give that permission rather than which we often also get caught up in our very capitalistic industrial revolution model of a nine to five and getting work done because obviously in these communities there is plenty of work to do um so yeah being really intentional about carving out that space uh with our prayer gatherings just taking a moment of silence before a meal even with the kids mm -hmm. <laughs> taking a balloon breath with, with everyone where you all fill up and hold your hands up like a balloon and then you decompress you know, that's, that's one way that we do it with the children. Um, but, uh, yeah, um, I kind of also think of what Ram Das would say about, you know, if, um, he was, Ram Das was talking about the struggle people experience of trying to meditate and how hard that is to maybe what they think they're supposed to get silent or quiet or yeah. sit in a silent space and talk with God. He said, you know, if you're a mother, then your crying child is your meditation. If you're a father, then your drive to work is your meditation. Like we have to learn how to contemplate and meditate within our daily actions. And I'm not saying that it's very important to also try to find those quiet spaces, but it's just as important to seek that in our daily lives when there's so many other things that we, for a lot of times, can't control. Yeah, well put, well put. Okay, Dave Armstrong, my friend, you start this. Let's end with you. Um, anything you want to say at all? Uh, sure. I love, getting the last, I love getting the last word in, so thanks for that, Mike. And I, I do want to go back just a second and say something about, uh, about Jesse and Jordan. I was sitting uh, on the lawn in front of the barn. Um, I believe it was a 2008 or 2009 when you came to the farm, Jesse. 2009. So 2009 in August, our family week, and there's this young couple, um, both in dreadlocks, come walking into this lawn where a bunch of people are forming and talking. Mm -hmm. And Jesse sat down next to me and we started talking. And I thought to myself, these people are special. And, <laughs> you know, you get sometimes, I don't, in my life, I, I, I've had these situations where I just feel the energy of a person right away and I could mm. feel it with these guys. And so when I gave them that call in 2011, uh, I knew something special was going to happen. The Holy Spirit was really leading this and, and that's what's happened. It's hard not to uh, get emotional thinking about it because you see that it, it has very little to do with me and very much to do with how God is working through them and through the community. And it's absolutely amazing. I've never witnessed anything like it. And I feel blessed that God has given me um, such a blessing in my life to, to be able to see this. Uh, with that being said, of course, I am the board, the board member. And, and the board member, uh, we try to help take care of the community um, through resources. And we we're, there's always needs at the farm. Right now, we're trying to um, uh, fund a dump trailer that we can... Um, we're doing a lot of hauling of, 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 of um, logs and, and, and junk and from houses that we're tearing out. And so the dump trailer helps us tremendously from, from uh, saving some of our muscles and stuff of, of having to dump things over, not just to mention the safety of not having to worry about getting scraped by nails and things like that. So if anybody wants to make a Christmas gift to us this year, an Advent gift, whatever it might be, a New Year's gift, uh, to help us uh, to reach that goal, um, that would be awesome. And I'd really appreciate it. But the other thing I want to emphasize to everybody too is, is that it's not just about that kind of resource. And Sonny said it earlier that um, 
Oh, I'm sorry. No, Desi said it earlier that she was taught right away that time is a more uh, is more valuable than money. Yeah. And folks, it is a blast to work with these people. It is a blast. Mm -hmm. to go to. The other day, uh, I framed a window uh, for somebody who, who they're doing this incredible project for Tina on a house um, down off Hardesty and Independence Avenue. And it's just amazing what they're doing. But I got to I got to frame a window, and that will always be the case. I think of Catholic social teaching, and one of the things I always think about, and one of the, the big teachings of it is this idea that we are co-creators with God. And that's what the farm helps us all to be, is co-creators with God in this creation. I created a place where a window will set in and protect this family uh, from the elements and give them a home. I got to do that. I got to co-create that. And and all of you out there, you're co-creators as well. And I just invite you, come down to the farm, be in relationship, co-create with us because beautiful things are happening. And just, I mean, just listening to 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 Sonny and Jesse, um, don't doesn't it make you want to be in relationship with them to come down and get to know them and and um, you know come out on a project any any day of the week, Tuesday through Saturday. You can bring your family, parish uh, or church men's groups. Come on down. You guys know you like to create. Come on down and help us to to do these things, especially right now because we don't have our, our normal set of volunteers that come in for week long retreats until this pandemic is over. So. I, I, that's my plea to you. Um, actually, it's not, um, it's not really hard. It's, it's a lot of fun. So take some time out. You'll be glad you did because it's the rewards are good. Outstanding folks. Um, and we're actually back today, but understanding that many, 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 I hope will listen to this and then I hope they'll be moved to act. Let's just, uh, say they need one more prompt. If they want to donate, what's the easiest way to do it? If they want to volunteer, what's the easiest way to do it? If they want to stop by at 520 Garfield, um, do they need to call ahead? Just some practical tips for maybe somebody who wants to take the next step but doesn't know exactly how to do it. So I'll answer that. Um, <laughs> if you go to our website, which is um, JerusalemFarm.org, um, on there is all this information, which Sunny is apparently going to update. We're real excited about. Um, but if you go on there, there's a link to donate um, through PayPal. You can also send a snail mail check. We're fine with that too. Um, and then on there, there's contact information uh, for emailing us if you would like to come and volunteer. It's, um, there's um, on the, um, the it's Jerusalem, or sorry, community at JerusalemFarm.org is our email address. If you'd like to email, you're welcome to call. Our phone number is on there as well. Um, and then another way to just keep up with what we're doing is um, liking us on Facebook. Just look up Jerusalem Farm on Facebook or Instagram. You can see the the big projects that we're working on, Tina's house. Um, and there's a GoFundMe for that. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of ways. Uh, yeah, on the PayPal, you can become a monthly donor. All kinds of opportunities. And back, um, sorry, in, not in the back, in the future, when uh, we gather together again, we do have monthly dinners as well. Um, and if you keep up with our Facebook, we'll let you know when those start again. Very good. Well, thank you so much, Jesse, Sonny, Dave Armstrong, outstanding work, outstanding community, and just congratulations for everything you've built, and uh, I'm sure we'll continue to, to uh, build. So thank you, folks. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Thanks so much. Mike. You're welcome.